You've tuned into The Dr. Lowe Show with naturopathic doctor, Dr. Lauren Noel, where you hear the best in natural medicine, nutrition, and mindset from the world's top doctors, authors, influencers, and Dr. Lowe herself. Trying just to pop a pill for a symptom? You've got the wrong exit. Seeking doable ways to live a happier, healthier life and have fun doing it? Welcome to The Dr. Lowe Show. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dr. Lowe's show. I'm your host, Dr. Lauren Noel, naturopathic doctor. Thanks for joining me again. I'm really looking forward to this episode. It is uh, with a good friend of mine that we're having back once again. Before I bring him on, just want to chat a little bit with you guys, do a few little announcements. So at this point, if you guys haven't been following my journey, I am uh, actually currently 25 weeks pregnant, soon to be 26, probably when this airs. And uh, it's been really amazing. I know a lot of you guys are following me on Instagram and you see a lot of my little updates. If you aren't following me, definitely head over there. That's kind of where I do most of my, you know, in the moment type of things and sharing, you know, what I'm doing each day and um, how I'm feeling, things I'm eating and just kind of behind the scenes stuff. So you can check me out over there at Dr. Lowe. It's D-O-C-T-O-R underscore L-O. And um, I'm at the office right now in between seeing patients, recording this little intro, um, doing my best to keep these episodes consistent for you guys. And also while I'm on maternity leave, I'm going to really do my best to have some shows that are consistently coming out too, because I just love doing these episodes. And um, thank you guys for reaching out and showing the love and you know, give me love for having the show coming back and being consistent with it. Um, and you know, I, I have a lot of people ask me about what I did to get pregnant. So I'm 37. I'll be 38 in about a week. <laughs> My birthday is on the 24th. And, um, you know, I don't mind sharing that because I got no shame about, you know, being pregnant in my mid to late thirties. I definitely would love to have another kid after this. And, um, you know, I really am very passionate about naturopathic fertility and I'm, I'm really, I love sharing what I've done to get to the point where I feel a lot more fertile in my thirties than I was even in my twenties. So, you know, I share all of that kind of stuff in my online course that I just released called um, Golden Eggs Fertility, and um, the students are really loving the content. And it's something that, you know, you don't get, even if you go to reproductive centers, you do not get this information at those places. You know, if you ask them, what can I do naturally? They kind of just look at you like you're crazy. You know, they might give you a couple supplements to do, but they really don't have that philosophy. And why would they? They're promoting IVF or, you know. IUI, different techniques that, um, that bring the money to be honest. So, um, you know, I, I know that there's, there's some good reproductive centers out there, but it's like going to a mechanic and, you know, and expecting him to understand about nutrition or something, right? It's just, it's not, it's not in their training. So if you want to understand how to heal your body and, um, promote your fertility, improve your egg quality, there's really nothing else like this that I know of. And um, I would love to be able to educate you guys and, and just kind of hold your hand through it. So check it out, goldeneggsfertility.com. It's a six-week fertility course, and it's designed for women and for couples. So there's a portion of the program called Golden Swimmers, which helps to improve sperm quality and motility and improve sperm count. And for the ladies, it's really about how to improve the quality of your eggs so that if you you know want to conceive naturally, it's so much easier to do that. If you decide you want to freeze your eggs, you're freezing quality eggs. And if you decide you know you want to go down the road of doing something like IVF, you have much higher a much higher success rate of that happening. So um, I'm very passionate about it. Head over goldenexfertility.com. I'd love to have you as a student. And um, you know if you know of anyone, any couples who are struggling with this, I would love to be able to educate them. And just really provide hope that there's so much naturally that can be done. And, um, and also just to alleviate a lot of the, the fear with it. You know, I, I'm, my commitment is that my students leave feeling at peace, empowered, excited about their fertility and feel like they really get it and don't feel like a victim to medicine. So, so yeah, so check it out, goldenexfertility.com. And with that said, I want to give some love to my show sponsor, Organifi, loving, loving Organifi. Um, they actually just came out with a chocolate, like a, it's like a hot chocolate. Oh my God. We did a, a work session the other day at my house with my office manager and our business coach. 
and it was really cold outside. And I was like, do you guys want to try this? They're like, yeah, I don't know. It looks kind of, kind of too healthy. <laughs> so I was like, no, just try it out. So I, so for our business manager or yeah, business manager, I made her the hot chocolate. So it's, um, the organified gold in the chocolate and she loved it so much. She couldn't, she wanted another cup. And then my, our, um, our business coach, I gave him the, just the gold, which is kind of a cinnamon ginger flavor. And he really loved it too. So I'm a really big fan um, of drinking those, you know, especially during kind of the cold season because it does have um, immune boosters in it. So it has reishi, it has turmeric, it's going to be anti-inflammatory. So it's a great gift and a great thing to have every day actually as, as a warm drink and also before bed, it can help with sleep. So highly recommend it. You can head over and get a discount for all my listeners at Organifi.com. So it's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. And then at checkout, enter Dr. Lowe and you get 30% off your order. So you are welcome. And that should um, hold true for each time you order it. If you, you know, it's not just like a first time thing. So, um, so yeah. So let's shift gears. I want to introduce my guest and let's jump into the show and talk all about how to fix your brain. All right. Well, I don't know how many times you've been on this show, but I want to just stroke your ego for a second (laughs) because I think you have been on this show more than anybody. This might be your fifth time, I want to say. So you just, we just keep having you back because you're just that good, Doc. Welcome back. (laughs) Thank you so much. I, I remember the first show. I, remember, I actually remember the glass of wine that we shared when you said, I'm going to do a podcast. <laughs> well, you have such a good memory because you're the, the brain guy. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it blows me away. Whenever we have a chance to sit down and talk, it's like sitting with, the, with an encyclopedia. It blows me away just how much you're able to remember this stuff. And obviously, you practice you know, what you preach and what you've written about in your book. So, hey, you're, you're a really inspiring testament for people and how, how to keep, keep their brain sharp long-term. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. That's, yeah. uh, you know, I think it's so critically important in our world today because it was Einstein that's attributed with saying, the problems we've created today cannot be solved with the same level of thinking that created the problem. Yeah. We 100%. have we, we have to up our game, and as adults, the vast majority of us are not going to up our game. We, we think a certain way. We've got certain beliefs. We, we sit within certain mental paradigms, uh, you know, and that's just part of being human for most of us. Yeah. And it's the next generation. It's the kids that are going to have to think outside our boxes Mm-hmm. in order to solve these problems. So we need to create the environment for these kids' brains to just expand and expand, mm-hmm. thinking outside the box. You know, it was just a couple of weeks ago now that uh, Scripps came out with a study. They said, you know, the technology we use to evaluate the warming of the oceans was incorrect. It wasn't, it, it's not accurate. It's actually much worse. It's Mm -hmm. much worse. And the estimates are now by the end of the century, New York will be underwater. San Diego will be underwater because of the melting of the ice caps and the rising of the oceans. And, and, you know, they're saying, you know, and we don't know how to stop it. So, so we're going to have to think outside the box. And as adults, we aren't going to do that. So it's really the kids that that we, we have to create the environment for. So to create the environment for the kids, we have to up our own games and not keep living the lifestyle that's causing the brain deterioration we're having. Yeah, for sure. And you sure can't count on your doctor to talk about this stuff with you. I mean, I was looking at in your book, so guys, his book is You Can Fix Your Brain. So Dr. Tom O'Brien, it is so good. I had a chance to flip through it even more during lunch before this interview. And I was just like, oh, just so proud of you, what you put together. It's such an incredible book. And in page 151, you talk about, um, let me pull it here. So talking about just the, the training of family physicians and how much they're actually trained in autoimmunity. And we'll get into how this relates to the brain. Cause it's like, well, we're talking about brain health. How is this connected to autoimmunity? But it's very much connected. And it's just not really something that most doctors screen for. And if they do, they don't really know the mechanism of what's going on with it. They don't really know how to treat it. So people are just kind of left in the dark about it. So that's why this book is so important. It's just important to know that you need to know a little more than your doctor probably when it comes to this. Yes, yes. Our doctors are not trained 
to be healthcare practitioners. They're trained to be crisis practitioners and help people get out of a crisis, but they're not trained. You know, it's postgraduate training where your doctor will get that type of information and think a different way to help you be healthier. And there are many, many great doctors who take postgraduate education and they learn more, but their, their medical education, you know, with this question of autoimmunity, more than 50% of the medically trained doctors in the surveys that were done by the American Autoimmune and Related Disease Association, more than 50% of them had had three classes or less in autoimmunity. Now that's three classes, not three courses. Right, yeah. And autoimmunity is the mechanism that causes cardiovascular disease, the number one killer. Yeah, and who knows if your doctor played hooky that day, right? <laughs> Did he even right. go to class? <laughs> that's right, that's right. You know, that they're, they're, it's not fair for them to you know, expect to know that yeah. and, and what to do aside from dealing with the symptoms and take, you know, take this med for the symptoms, which can help in the short term. You know, I talk about that as life jacket medicine. And yeah. what I mean is when you go into your doctor and you've got a symptom, it's brain fog and your mom died of Alzheimer's and so you're scared, you got brain fog or you've been diagnosed with diabetes or you have recurrent miscarriages. It doesn't matter what the symptoms are, but when you go in with the symptoms, it's like you've fallen over a waterfall and you've crashed into the pond below. You swim up to the surface and you go, <laughs> oh, God, I'm alive. You know, oh. And then you're trying to stay afloat in the pond of brain fog or in the pond of diabetes. But the water is so turbulent because the waterfall keeps falling into the pond. The water is so turbulent because you keep living the lifestyle that caused the problem that it's really hard to stay afloat. So what you have to do, the first thing is make sure you don't drown. So you try the natural approaches first, and if they don't work, you take the medications that are prescribed to you. You don't be silly about this. You, if, if you need the meds so that you don't drown in the pond of brain fog and your brain keeps deteriorating, 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 if you need the meds, you take the meds, but you don't stay in the pond. You swim over to the side of the pond, you get out of the water, you walk up the hill, you walk back up the river to figure out what fell in the river that carried me downstream and over the waterfall into the pond of brain fog yeah. or into the pond of recurrent miscarriages. You know, whatever the symptoms are, you have to go back upstream. That's what the term upstream means, is going back up there to figure out what happened that set this whole thing in play. And yeah. our, doc our doctors aren't trained in that unless they've taken postgraduate education, like in functional medicine or complementary medicine or integrative medicine. If they take postgrad courses, then they may be really competent in this. Yeah, and it's got to be that that interest that they have to do some extra training, and you know that may or may not be there. So, you know, really educating yourself and um, doing doing a little bit of the extra work. I mean, if you read this book, you know more than probably most doctors when it comes to. I mean, definitely when it comes to autoimmunity, for sure. Yeah. So we talk about brain stuff. This book is all about brain. How the heck does this relate to autoimmunity? I know autoimmunity has been a focus you've had for a long time. It's been what you've written about previously. So how does it relate to to the brain? Oh, yes. Uh, well, Alzheimer's is an autoimmune mechanism. Um, uh, depression, anxiety, these all, uh, the diseases of the brain, the diagnosed diseases of the brain, um, uh, they're all based on inflammation. The brain cells are on fire. It just depends what part of the brain's on fire and is it gasoline or kerosene, but it's always inflammation. And that's what autoimmune mechanisms are. You know, for example, in Alzheimer's, the last count and I did was, oh, it was about four months ago, so it's more now, but there were 246 studies. If you go to PubMed, that stands for Public Medical Information, pubmed.gov, it's the National Library of Medicine. It opens right up on the search engine. and You have access to over 17 million articles just right away. 
So you go to pubmed.gov and it opens on the search engine and you type in herpes and Alzheimer's. There are 246 studies as of four months ago, it's more now, 246 studies, different teams of researchers who've shown the connection between when you have elevated antibodies to herpes, people that get cold sores, you know, and they, they get those little herpes breakouts every once in a while. Mm -hmm. If you get the cold sores, if you get a manifestation of herpes, that means there's a higher viral count. If there's a higher, higher viral count, it means your immune system hasn't been able to keep it in check. If your immune system hasn't been able to keep it in check, it's producing antibodies at an elevated level because those are the big guns. So if the normal immune system can't handle the herpes outbreak, then the antibodies get produced. And there's 246 studies, most of them talk about this topic that when you take, you know, when a patient passes with Alzheimer's, if they do a biopsy of the brain, if they look at it, what they find is that the plaque, it's called beta amyloid plaque, is loaded with antibodies to herpes. Wow. Loaded. That's one of the mechanisms that causes the plaque is a recurrent viral infection, mm -hmm. or it can be a bacterial infection. If bacteria get through the blood-brain barrier, the blood-brain barrier is your protective area. If bacteria get through the blood-brain barrier into the brain, you know, you've heard of leaky gut. Well, in the book, we talk a lot about leaky brain. So if you've got a leaky brain and bacteria that's in the bloodstream gets into the brain, your body makes antibodies. You, you develop an autoimmune mechanism to fight this bacteria. That causes the inflammation in the brain. And with the collateral damage of the inflammation comes damaging the, the local tissue. And then here comes the all scars and you know, the beta amyloid with that, uh, uh, the mechanism of what causes MS. Last point on this, beta amyloid that we hear about in Alzheimer's, it turns out it's really a good guy. Beta amyloid is produced as an antibacterial, an antiviral, an antifungal. It's produced to protect your brain cells so that if a bacteria gets into the brain by some unknown reason or mechanism, it gets in the brain, your brain produces beta amyloid. It's an immune system in the brain. And it, it fights that bacteria. It fights that virus. And what beta amyloid does is it just creates a wall around it, like calcium. It's like a calcium wall, really hard stuff. And that's why it's called plaque. And it just um, isolates that virus so that it can't spread. So beta amyloid is not a bad guy. It's a good guy. The problem is we're being called upon to produce beta amyloid quite often. Why? Because we've got a breach of the blood-brain barrier. I call it B4, capital B number four, a breach of the blood-brain barrier, which means leaky brain. If we've got leaky brain and bacteria and viruses get into the brain, then beta amyloid gets produced. So the question is, where does the leaky brain come from? Right. And the leaky brain comes from our lifestyle. It comes from the air pollution. It comes from wheat sensitivity. It comes from leaky gut. It, I mean, there's, there, the, the whole book is about these mechanisms and how do you dial them down one at a time to isolate which ones are a problem for you. Wow. So I know everyone listening is like, oh, crap, I get cold sores. I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, right. No, it's like, wake up. Wake up, everyone. Wake up. When the but, cold sore goes away, the virus hasn't gone away. Right, right. If, if you want a different result 30 years from now, you have to recognize that this mechanism's going on and then just take baby steps to fix it. You know, um, it, uh, it's an adage of mine, base hits win the ball game. Mm. You just keep going for a base hit, just one little thing. Mm -hmm. Tomorrow you do one little thing, just one little thing after another, and you will win the ball game. But we have to wake up. When the cold sores go away uh, from being visible, the virus is not gone. Mm -hmm. If you have elevated antibodies, you've got a problem. Yeah. That's why there's blood tests now to identify. Mm 
if you have these antibodies elevated. Mm -hmm. And it's the, the problem isn't the virus, it's the, it's the breach in the blood-brain barrier. Because the thing is, we live long lives, we're going to be exposed to all kinds of things. So you don't want to feel like you have to live in a bubble. You, know, you may get a viral infection or a bacterial exposure or candida or whatever overgrowth. But it's really about having that, um, that integrity of the blood-brain barrier of the gut so that you have resilience, you know, and you're this little warrior in the world that you can handle those stressors. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's, a, that's a great way of looking at it. And, and sleep is a huge component of this, right? I mean, we detox and heal our brain as we sleep. Can you talk about that a little? Yeah, of course. You know, we only heal when we sleep. The parasympathetic nervous system, we have two nervous systems, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. The parasympathetic is the one that's supposed to be in operation 95% of the time. Mellow, relaxed, calm, low blood pressure, and um, when you're sleeping, you're in parasympathetic dominance. And that's the only time we heal is when we're in parasympathetic dominance, when we're sleeping. Uh, so if you don't get good sleep on a regular basis, enough of it and good enough quality, you don't go into parasympathetic dominance, you don't heal. So uh, the exercises, the things to recognize in the book, we talk about a lot of things that inhibit having good quality sleep. For example, get the alarm clock away from your brain. Yeah. Everybody has an alarm clock on the nightstand right next to their head. Well, that, if that alarm clock is leaking electromagnetic radiation, which many of them do, it's not strong, but it, within a foot to two feet, for most of them, it's a toxic level of radiation, of, of electromagnetic radiation, it's a toxic level, and it's yeah. frying your brain. So uh, get the alarm clock and put it on the other side of the room. But I'll have to get out of bed. Well, that's the idea. That's <laughs> what an alarm clock is for. Get your butt up. Right, right. But I like to snooze. I like a 57 Cadillac Brits convert. <laughs> get your butt out of bed. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I'm... Uh pregnant as we talked about I'm about yeah, four, months, four months today 16 weeks today and and I had no idea all of the effects of EMFs radio I mean I, I have had a couple episodes on it before but didn't know how much it affects the baby actually so I've been just diligent about this I took the wi-fi out of my office so at shine we no longer have wi-fi we have everything hard line so but actually it's kind of better because the ethernet is so fast we still have internet it's just not you know, going through the air. We right. turn our uh, Bluetooth off of our computers. So it's just a safer place for us to work. And I, I noticed a big difference. I used to leave the office feeling so zapped at the end of the day. Like I just, I was like sort of that wired but tired feeling. I leave the office feeling fine now. Like I feel much different. It's so interesting how it just it compares. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's worth the investment to get a EMF reader. Oh, yes. To get one of those things and just measure your house and you'll be startled how much uh, electromagnetic leakage is coming from your television, from mm -hmm. your computer, from your cell phone, from your toaster, uh, certainly right. from your microwave. I mean, the microwave, this, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, and when you when when you have a reader and you just scan your house and, and you say, holy cow. Right. You know, and you'll see, for example, that the colored tell you know, the oh, they're all colored. <laughs> I'm dating myself. <laughs> that was cute. <laughs> but you'll see that the televisions, they spew out so much electromagnetic leakage. Yeah. And as you walk away, it gets less and less and less. And you'll see the point where it's in a safe zone. And that might yeah. be three feet away, five feet away. You're in a safe zone. Right. Now, go in the room on the other side of the wall that the television's against turn the television on and notice how much electromagnetic leakage is going through the wall. Mm -hmm. And if your child's headboard is on that wall, you're frying their brain when they're trying to sleep and you're watching television at night. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it doesn't, it's, it goes through walls. It goes through your body. It doesn't stop for that. So, and, and the, the biggest exposures were the Sonos wireless speakers. Those were really high. And then also the, um, the Amazon fire stick that was like really, really high. So, um, so yeah, so I've just been kind of tweaking the way I do things. I keep the Wi-Fi off at my house unless I have to use it. So I plug it in to use it, but my default is just keeping it off. 
but you know, I encourage my patients now to turn it off at night for sure. And they're saying I'm sleeping through the night for the first time. I don't remember how long. I mean, it's important. And also for my baby room, once I get that set up, I'm not going to use a baby monitor because those are bad. Those are, um, you know, there's a lot of exposure from that, that you're just putting right into the crib. So parents don't even know that's happening. Right. Right. Yeah. If, if If mom and dad want some kind of a monitor, Put a little camera on the wall. Yeah. And and hardwired into another room where you can see the monitor. Right. Yeah. There's ways to to do it. Um, a really good movie is um a documentary called Generation Zapped. So I've been sending my patients to check that out. It's kind of like the Food Inc. for the EMF world. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a little scary. You don't watch it before bed. Watch it on a chill day when so you so you don't like freak out and feel like everything is killing you. (laughs) These movies can do that, but, um, but just good to educate yourself. And like you said, little by little, it's just, you know, base hits when the ball, the ball game, you don't have to do a huge drastic change right away. Um, but all those little changes accumulate into a lot less exposure. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Base hits win the ball game. I like that. So we were talking briefly before our um, interview started about the importance of, and this relates to fertility, which has been a big area of focus for me, about a baby's gut and how that relates to brain health. So let's talk a little bit about that, about just getting the babies that that good quality bacteria and and how that plays into their brain health. Oh my goodness, yes. Uh, uh, The geek term is modulates that the microbiome modulates brain function. And what that means is that the microbiome in your gut, um, the, the, the environment of the good bacteria, the bad bacteria, the viruses, the bugs, the parasites, all of that, that microbiome has its hands on the steering wheel of your brain function. It controls where your brain's going. It controls how much neurotransmitters, those those are nerve hormones, how much neurotransmitters your brain's going to have. That's all controlled by the microbiome. We know that for every message from the gut, or or every message from the brain going down to the gut, there are nine messages from the gut going up to the brain. And most of it is the microbiome sending messages, the bacteria. It's got its hands on the steering wheel. So it's a critically important component and given your interest in fertility and pregnancy now I was thinking about this you know yesterday actually and I just started looking at some studies and no one's ever written this that I have found but you know I can think of six different pathways by which the microbiome of baby develops within two, three days of birth, six different pathways. So the first one is the placenta and the placental microbiome that gets into the developing baby. The next one is the amniotic fluid microbiome, which is different than the placental microbiome that gets into the baby, beginning the whole process of inoculating the baby. The third one is the birth canal. And we all know that when mom has a natural childbirth, baby comes out covered in this slop. This slop is so critically important, critically important, because it's carrying so much of the messaging for baby as to what kind of an environment baby's coming out into, who's the mammal that's going to be feeding that baby, what is the protein structure of that mammal's milk, that is mom. That's all in Prevotella that develops in the vaginal tract of mom in the last month of pregnancy. Prevotella is hardly identifiable at any other time in the vaginal tract, but in the last month of pregnancy, it skyrockets. It's so cool. It's amounts because the area is getting ready to give this message to baby that's about to pass through. So that's the third one was the birth canal. That's why babies that are born by C-section Um, whether it's emergency C-section, and if it's an emergency, you do what you have to to save mom and the baby, right? Or these elective C-sections, which there's so much discussion questioning the the rationale for that. But if a baby's born by a C-section, then many um, obstetricians will take a sponge 
and they insert a sponge in mom's vaginal tract and then wipe the baby down with the sponge, wipe the goop all over baby's face and you know, baby's ears and uh, wipe around the face and the eyes and the nose and the mouth and the ears. And so that we're trying to get some of that messaging into baby that is critically important for the survival of mammals of all types after birth. Wow. So that's the third one is the birth canal. Because if baby is born by C-section, then baby's microbiome, and they've published on this a number of times, baby's microbiome is the microbiome of the surgical room. Right. So there's yeah. staph, there's staphylococcus aureus in, on the walls in the surgical room. There's Klebsiella, you know, there's E. coli. All of these undesirable bacteria become the primary um, uh, infusions that baby gets at birth if baby's born by C-section, just by breathing the air. And baby gets these, and then baby's gut thinks that's normal. So staph is normal for baby, so baby's immune system doesn't fight this. And E. coli is normal for that baby. So that's the uh, fourth avenue by which uh, there's an infusion um, contributing to the development of the microbiome is the outside environment of the birthing room. So when baby's born by natural childbirth, still baby comes out into this environment, but baby's covered in slop, you know, just all over that gooey stuff. Right. Uh, I mean, it's, and you should leave it on for a few minutes. You know, you, don't, you shouldn't wipe it off, except maybe, you know, the eyes and the nose and stuff so that yeah. you can breathe and say, hi, mom, how are you? You look good, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> So that's the fourth one. The fifth one, infusion of uh, bacteria for the microbiome, is colostrum. The first three days of mother's milk is loaded with bacteria. And that bacteria is uh, a very instructional bacteria. Uh, colostrum turns on the genes to build receptors for the, for, for the bacteria to hang out in the gut. It turns on the genes to close the severe intestinal permeability. Every baby's born with severe leaky gut. That's normal because baby's been swimming in amniotic fluid that goes everywhere. But now at birth, baby can't have leaky gut anymore. So how does that, how does the leaky gut close? Well, it closes by colostrum, turning on the genes. All right, let's close those tight junctions now. That's why breastfeeding is so important, at least Many, many researchers say at least for two weeks, if at all possible for mom, at least for two weeks. Certainly more is better, but some people just don't know how critically important is it is for baby's future. And those babies that are not breastfed or, and those babies that have uh, C-sections, their incidence of allergies and asthma and acne is so much higher at three years old, four years old, seven years old than kids that were natural childbirth. The, the numbers are jaw-dropping yeah. how much that is. So that's five. And the sixth source of bacteria that is fueling the inoculation of baby's gut is breast milk. Mm -hmm. So the first three to five days of breast milk is colostrum. And after that, it's pure breast milk. But that breast milk's loaded with bacteria. So baby keeps getting infusions for, you know, the first, as long as baby is breastfeeding of, um, of good bacteria. And if mom has too much bad bacteria, the bad bacteria also. That's why it's so important that mom's working on her microbiome before and during pregnancy. Yeah. Wow, that is so cool. What a cool list. I've never seen all of that in, in one place, but I mean, it makes sense. And yeah. yeah, and you know, for anybody listening who, let's say they had to do a C-section or whatever, you realize that there's, there's a lot of places that the baby can get good bacteria if, like you said, you know, there's an emergency section or something like that. So, um, and you know, maybe, yeah, I mean, using that sponge technique, like you said, and, and being able to wipe it on the baby's face and ears and mouth and that... It's, that's so smart. Right. So, wow. And, you know, if, if, um, if someone listening has a child that was born by C-section and didn't know about these compensatory mechanisms to do, you can just assume the likelihood is very, very high 
that um, your child has an altered microbiome. You can assume that. And, if, and so it's worth checking. It's just worth checking to see what's the microbiome like of my child. And uh, so that's, uh, that's something to consider. Yeah, for sure. That's something, you know, we do that all the time with kids and adults, you know, just good stool test. And a lot of things that we've talked about so far, like checking for the blood brain barrier lining and um, checking leaky gut. I mean, these are like things that we run all the time that are like groundbreaking and so out there for most people, but it was just regular, regular day at shine. Cause we're just, we're doing a lot of this groundwork. So yeah. definitely you guys, if you want to get some testing, check out, check us out. You can go to shine and um, you know, we'd be happy to answer questions about how that would work. So yeah, cause it's good the testing done. Cause you know, a lot of these symptoms can be a lot of different things, right? I mean, you can have brain fog, you can have fatigue, depression, and it, it, it very attention well could be right? attention, autism. You bet. Yeah. So many manifestations of this and it could be a different underlying issue. Like it's a, a herpes component or yeast overgrowth or, or maybe you're having, you know, toxic mold exposure at your house or just something that you got to get to the root of the problem to help to, to, you know, kind of backtrack and heal. Um, so I love it. Let's talk a little bit about LPS. You talk about this in your book. I think this is really important for people to understand what LPS is and how much damage it can cause. Oh, you know, it's, it's one of those topics in healthcare that for some reason just hasn't gotten the traction for discussion, but it's such a major problem for so many people. So um, the, the microbiome, uh, the bacteria in the microbiome, there's two categories of bacteria. There's gram-negative and gram-positive bacteria. And in general, the gram-negative bacteria is not really that good for us. There are some gram-negative bacteria that's essential, uh, but the majority of gram-negative bacteria is not, not so good. Well, gram-negative bacteria produces an exhaust. An exhaust is uh, uh, a remnant, if you will, from the original bacteria. And uh, it's called lipopolysaccharides, LPS. And um, these LPS molecules, the smallest ones that I've ever seen um, referenced are about 20,000 Daltons in size. That's really, really tiny. But Nothing is supposed to get through the walls of the intestine into the bloodstream that's larger than 500 Daltons. Mm. Uh, nothing. Uh, because if it's larger than 500 Daltons, it stimulates an immune response. And so uh, when you have LPS in the bloodstream, you know you've got a leaky gut. Mm. There are six different mechanisms by which LPS can get in the bloodstream, but the most common one is if you have a leaky gut. It's, it's most common. And um, when it gets into the bloodstream, most doctors refer to it as LPS, most doctors who know about it, but the researchers and the specialists refer to it as endotoxin. Endo means inside. And endotoxin means toxins inside your body. So, uh, you know, because if you think of the gut, uh, it goes, Mrs. Patient, your GI tract, it goes from the mouth to the other end, it's about 25 feet long. And if you think of a donut, if you could stretch a donut out, one big, long donut, and if you look through the donut, look down the donut, it's one big, long tube. So when you swallow food, it's still in the donut. It's in the tube. It's not in the body yet. Right. And it's got to go through the walls of the donut to get into the bloodstream. So, and that's digestion and absorption. So when um, the inside lining of your tube is lined with cheesecloth. And so only synthesized molecules can get through into the bloodstream. 500 Daltons are smaller, and they get into the, into the bloodstream. So when you've got a blood test and it comes back and you've got antibodies to LPS, 
or you've got uh, markers of LPS in the bloodstream, you know you've got a problem here. <clears throat> and what happens is LPS, it accumulates. If it accumulates in your brain, you get inflammation in your brain. And that's a very, very common thing that's occurring for our people that have cognitive problems and uh, uh, brain deterioration. They often have elevated levels of LPS. No one's looking at it. No one's addressing it. Right. Yeah, just trying to, you know, drink coffee or tropic or something, you know, to speed your brain up when the root of the problem could be something like this going on. Right, right. So what do you do? Well, you do a blood test to see, do I have an LPS problem? And if you do, it's really easy, blood tests to do. And if you have an LPS problem, then you have to work on healing your gut, you know, fixing the leaky gut that, that is causing the problem. Yeah. So would it be pretty accurate to say if you have leaky gut, you probably have leaky brain? Or if you have leaky brain, you probably have leaky gut? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the markers of uh, 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 leaky gut... The um, are similar markers. Some of them are the same as the markers for le leaky brain. Mm -hmm. Now, there are specific markers for le leaky brain that are not in the gut, but the markers of the gut are also in the brain. Yeah. So if you test positive for leaky gut, it's very likely you've got leaky brain. Yeah. So in the same treatment that heals the gut likely will help to heal the brain as well, right? Just absolutely modulation, really right. maximizing the healing response and working on the, the lining to heal. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. The, the uh, first, um, you know, as all conditions are uh, inflammatory, all diseases are inflammatory and certainly leaky gut, leaky brain, they're inflammation mechanisms. So the first thing to do is, Stop throwing gasoline on the fire. Right. Right. So, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, duh. So you, <laughs> you have to find out what are the foods I'm eating that are causing inflammation. And, well, I can have a little once in a while. Well, no, you can't. You know, if you're <laughs> science, you can't. You can't. Uh, yeah. so, uh, so you find out what the foods are, get those out of there, and then you work on rebuilding a healthy microbiome and taking the nutrients to help heal the damaged tissue. Yeah. And That's why I love testing micronutrients for people to actually see what truly is deficient in your body so you're not just guessing on what you need. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It's a very important uh, piece of information to get mm -hmm. so, so that you're not just shotgunning. Yeah. I love in your book you talk about – there's so many tangible takeaways, and, and also I love that you – outline sort of a nutrition physical exam you can do for yourself to see if you're eating inflammatory foods because I mean you know most people who come in to see me they're like my diet's good I eat really well and we really dive into their diet and it's like oh man there's probably a lot of foods that are causing some inflammation that you might not really be aware of yes. so you go into different clues that might give you an idea physically that you could be having some inflammatory foods. So I, I want to run through, you know, maybe three, five of those. You have a longer list in your book people can check out. But what I thought was fascinating was red, how red cheeks or those little, um, you know, like uh, broken blood vessels, those can be clues of low stomach acid. Right. Fascinating. Right. Very, yeah. common. very common. And also hair loss too can be a clue of low stomach acid. Yeah. But it didn't make sense. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Wright, uh, it's W-R-I-G-H-T, uh, uh, who is a brilliant mentor. He's been around for 40 years. Um, uh, he wrote a book on, on hydrochloric acid deficiencies. It's called HCL Deficiencies. Hmm. And uh, it's an excellent book. I think it's called HCL Deficiencies, but uh, Jonathan Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. Yeah, awesome. Well, I, I can say from my experience back in the day when I was in, in, in a naturopathic medical school that I experimented with, experimented with taking HCL. I had to take like eight, 10 capsules at one point because I was making like no stomach acid at the time. And it was, right. it was miraculous for me. I mean, I finally started pooping like a rock star after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just have to prime the pump. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's what taking HDL is all about. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So let's see, I'll throw out a couple other ones. Skin tags. 
So if you have skin tags, and those are so common, those could be clues of high blood sugar or high triglycerides. And those are clues you're, you know, we got to tweak the diet a bit. You're bringing in some foods that are causing some problems. Yeah. Yeah. Also, what I thought was really fascinating was having a sensitive scalp can be a clue of low vitamin D. I had never heard that one before. I am just... I'm, I have the, the, the most sensitive scalp. I mean, whenever I go in and get a blow dry, I'm like, be careful, don't pull in my hair. So, and I was realizing, oh, I got to start taking vitamin D. So I actually started taking it again today after reading that. Yeah. And what, what you'll notice, you know, you're pregnant, so you don't want to do what I'm about to say while you're pregnant. Uh, but when you're not pregnant, if you have a sensitive scalp, take 50,000 units of vitamin D for two or three days and then yeah. your scalp's not sore anymore. It's so cool. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, let's see, I'll throw one more out there. If you take your socks off and at the end of the day you see that you still have sock marks, that's another clue. <laughs> Got to yeah. work on some inflammation. Right, right. Yeah. It means there's water retention, edema that's mm -hmm. there. And you know, there's some, some people say, well, I got tight socks. I said, yeah, all right. Well, same with your underwear or your, <laughs> your watch band, you know? Yeah. I mean, come on, come on now. You know? Yeah, if you take your Speedos off and you still got a mark there, could be something going on. <laughs> um, all right, let's, we, we've thrown out so much information for people. I know their brains are spinning, but I just want to make it a good little tangible takeaway show. So what would be like, you know, two, three different things people can start implementing that are pretty doable that'll make a really big difference for, uh, you know, helping to heal their brain? Oh my gosh. The first thing is reduce your exposure to phthalates. Mm. Phthalates are the chemicals used to mold plastic. And when you get your coffee at the coffee shop and the steam from the hot liquid rises up and it condenses on the underside of the lid, it drips back down into the coffee full of bisphenol A. That's a phthalate. When you put the coffee up to your lips, the hot liquid hits the underside of the lid and it tapers down into the opening and you drink it full of bisphenol A. So oh, wow. Uh, uh, plastic wrap. When you wrap your leftover chicken in plastic, the next day you eat the chicken, it's full of phthalates. The phthalates leach from the plastic into the food. Plastic containers, like Tupperware containers, you put leftover foods in the containers, you put them in the refrigerator, the phthalates leach out of the plastic container into the food. We've grown up believing that plastics are great for us and they're fine. You know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I've been using plastic my whole life. Well, what kind of results are you getting in your healthcare? Yeah. You know, because now um, they just published a study. They looked. They just did a urinalysis on ten pregnant women. All ten of them had phthalates in their urine. All of them. And they they did another study. Let me see if I've got the number here because uh, I've got. I've got the study right here in my hand. Let me see, 328 women, pregnant women, and they measured them for one, two, three, four, five different phthalates, these chemicals that are in plastic. <laughs> they measured them for these uh, in the last trimester of their pregnancy, and then they followed the children for seven years. And what did they find? With two of the phthalates, at seven years old, one, one group of, uh, if mom was in the highest quarter of these chemicals compared to being in the lowest quarter, you know, you get the total, and then there's the lowest one-fourth, and the next one-fourth, the third one-fourth, and then the highest one-fourth. If mom was in the highest one-fourth compared to the lowest one-fourth, their children, the highest one-fourth, their children had six to 7.5 points lower IQ than the IQ of the children in the lowest quartile of plastics in their urine. Wow. So these plastics in the body impact on baby's brain development. And you don't see it for seven years, but that's, well, that's when they tested, was it seven years? Six points lower IQ is substantial. Wow. That's a lot. That's really a lot. Mm -hmm. okay. And the other thing I'll tell you about this, and then I'll tell you what to do about it. The other thing uh, to talk about is they looked at pregnant women that had uh, sensitivity to wheat. They had elevated antibodies to the most common peptide of wheat that's checked called gliadin, alpha gliadin. 
And women who are in the top 10% of antibodies to Glidin during their pregnancy, their children had a 70% increased risk of developing schizophrenia 35 to 40 years later compared to children of mothers who were in the lower levels of antibodies. Wow. So the women in the top 10%, those women in the top 5% of antibodies to wheat, their children had a 2.5 fold, which is 150% greater chance of developing schizophrenia 35 to 40 years later. And now we know, because the studies have been coming out in the last couple of years, that say, if you get these phthalates into your body, too high a level of these phthalates, for a baby, different areas of the brain don't develop properly. And they've got those areas identified now. Hmm. Uh, so it's really quite remarkable to see um, the left hemisphere of the brain, that uh, white matter, the white matter surface was almost exclusively uh, compromised in the left hemisphere of the brain. Um, and reduced less left hemisphere white matter is associated with slower information processing, means they can't think through a problem very well, slower speed during intelligence testing, and more severe externalizing behavioral problems. Mm -hmm. Because those moms had higher levels of these toxins during pregnancy. So the goal here is to clean up the environment like you have in your home, and you're, you're getting the EMFs out of there, you know, as much as you can. And that's the goal here, is to find out, do I have a sensitivity to foods? Well, get those foods out of there for now, and clean up the environment. Stop using plastic storage containers. Get glass. Just go to mileskimble.com or to Amazon. It's going to take you an hour to do it. You know, it's going to take you an hour to see, now, what was that? URL that Dr. Brian talked about in the book, okay, mileskimble.com. Mm -hmm. And you go to mileskimble.com and you'll look at some of their options. And then you'll go to Amazon and look at some of their options. And then you'll say, okay, I need four round ones about this size. I need a couple square ones. I need one big one. And you're going to order all this stuff. That takes an hour. Mm -hmm. That takes an hour to do. Now, Dr. Noel, what's the subtitle on the cover of the book? It says... Just one hour a week to the best memory, productivity, and sleep you've ever had. Exactly. You just take one hour a week. You just deal with one base hit. Mm -hmm. Just one. Every week, though, Tuesday nights after dinner, Sunday mornings after church, you know, whenever it is. But mm -hmm. every week, you allocate one hour to changing the environment um, in, in your life. And in three months, four months, six months, oh, as you said, really quickly, you notice that you just started feeling better really quick. Yeah. But with, with the EMF thing, and I talk about EMFs a lot in the book, and I talk about toxic chemicals, and I talk about food sensitivities, but it's overwhelming. You know, people are listening to this. I'm sure they're overwhelmed. Right. You know, but guys, it's one hour a week. That's how you get successful at this. There's no way to remember it all, all at one time. Yeah. Yeah. You go to Costco, get a big old box of all these glass containers in one purchase. I mean, there's, there's okay. lots of options. And when you go and get your coffee from wherever you go, you can bring a little travel mug with you or better yet, make it at home, make a, you know, good bulletproof version. So you got some good fats in there. So it's just little tweaks, you know, you don't want to get rid of all the things in your life that you love, but just modify and make it a healthier version. Yes. Very agreed. doable. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So taking out the phthalates, the BPA, um, being careful about wheat or gluten, if that's a sensitivity, which, you know, in my experience, most people are sensitive. Yes. Any other little hacks or tips people can do? Turn off the Wi-Fi at night. Really important. Get, get a headset for your phone. Stop putting the phone up to your brain. Yes. Uh, Bluetooth don't work. That's a battery on your ear for hours yeah. at a time. You know, yeah. a corded headset. A corded headset. Yeah. Those little um, things are base hits that make a big difference. Also, when you're driving in your car, put your windows down if you can, because that helps to release the EMFs from your phone so you're not in this sort of metal cage where it's, 
magnifying it and it bounces off the walls. That way it, it actually escapes. I am so sensitive to this now, or not sensitive, I'm so in tune to this now that when I look, when I um, bring down the windows in my car, I feel like a, like a lightning of how I feel, like quickly. I can feel the difference when I am having more exposures versus when I let them disperse out. It's, it's really crazy how wow. quick it is. Yeah, wow. even now, like if I unplug my Wi-Fi, I feel an instant difference. But, you know, it took a while to get to that place because you're just around it all the time. So you're just not used to it. Well, you know what's so cool about that? That means that you're creating such a beautiful environment for baby. Yeah. Uh, you know, in your womb right now, that that baby is getting, that's, this is one of the babies that's going to change the world. Hey, little hey. warrior. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, I'm so grateful. Any, any uh, parting words, any last little tidbits? I know everyone's like their head spinning with how much good information they've gotten. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, heads are spinning and I know that. I'm sorry about that. I just don't, <laughs> you know, what else to do. Except sorry, but not sorry. You're welcome. <laughs> right. 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 You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> base hits win the ball game, everyone. Yeah. Just go for the base hits. Just do one little thing at a time, but stay. Oh, yes. I'll tell you this story. This is a good one. 1984, this microbiologist writes a paper and says, you know, I think ulcers sometimes are caused by bacteria, a bacterial infection. Everyone thought the guy was a nutcase. Everybody knows ulcers come from too much acid eating up the stomach. And, you know, the, this guy, he was ostracized. Um, he was not given any recognition for even the, the thought that this was possible. So what does he do? He does an endoscopy. That means he puts a tube down his throat into his stomach, takes a picture of the healthy pink tissue in his stomach. Then he drinks a beaker of the bacteria Heliobacter pylori. He drinks a whole beaker of it. Then he waits about a month until he's sick as a dog with lots of stomach pain, puts another tube down his stomach, takes a picture of his ulcerated stomach. Then he takes the antibiotics to kill bacteria, waits about another month, puts an, another tube down, takes a picture of his healthy pink tissue. Then he published it with the pictures. Then everybody knew he was a nutcase. Right. But he knew. But he proved that sometimes, and it turns out it's 85, 90% of the time, ulcers are caused by Heliobacter pylori. Now, 21 years later, this guy wins the Nobel Prize in medicine. And the Nobel Committee said in giving him the award, who with tenacity and a prepared mind challenged prevailing dogma. What every one of us has to do is challenge prevailing dogma. Oh, EMFs are fine. Oh, weed is fine. Oh. That means you're popular. Yeah, that, sorry. That was, <laughs> um, uh, weed is fine. Uh, EMFs are fine. Uh, plastics are fine to use for storage of things. You yeah. know, um, all of that. And it's just not, you have to challenge the prevailing dogma. Then a prepared mind. How do you get a prepared mind? You spend one hour a week, just one hour a week at this. And uh, in six months, you've got this down. Yeah. And what's, what's the tenacity? One hour a week. And uh, what's the prepared mind? You study every week for one hour or you implement one of the things you learn from my book and your podcasts and all these places. And then in six months, you, you're, you're good to go. You've got this down. You've got your Nobel yeah. Prize. Brand new brain, sleeping better, yeah. more product, productive, better memory. Then you get to be a walking Dr. Tom. So there yeah. you go. <laughs> well doc i am so grateful i appreciate you so much and what you're doing in the world you're just on a on a mission to make a difference and you know have a legacy and um you know i know so many people listening are so grateful already for how much you've helped them and continue to do so so just from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for what you do it is truly changing lives oh dr lauren thanks so much it's really a pleasure to walk this road with you Oh, yeah. thanks. We're, all, we're both doing this. And thanks, so buddy. 
so much. Yeah. How do the listeners keep in touch and just stay up in what you're doing? How can they, uh, how can they find you? Thank you so much. Oh, 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 you said, how can listeners stay in touch? Sorry. Yeah, how can they find you and just yeah, keep in touch yeah. with what you're doing? Yeah, our website is thedr.com, thedoctor.com. Just don't spell the word doctor out. Mm-hmm. And right on the front page, the book is there. If you click on it, it'll take you to Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble or some other place where you want to go. There's five different places. But then you get to download a bunch of handouts that awesome. are pretty cool, like how to change your pantry and you know stuff like that. So it's dr.com. And please consider giving this book to your family and friends as a holiday gift. Yes. 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 I agree with that so much. All right. Lots of love. Thanks for joining me. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Dr. Low Radio. Thank you so much for joining us. And for more after the show, you can head over to drlowshow.com where you can find the show notes. Be sure to subscribe to the show and share with all your friends. And please head over to iTunes and leave the show a five-star review and leave a comment. I read each and every one and they warm my heart. Thank you so much again for joining us. I promise to keep bringing you fun, inspiring, empowering content. Until next time, lots of love, and I'll talk to you soon.